by way of a little orientation for those of you who are used to the language of Buddhist teachings. Um, I'd like to give some reflections this evening on emptiness and on greed, hatred and delusion. And yet I probably won't use any of those words very much, if at all. So, in, in changing the language a little, partly so as not to be just reliant on the familiarity and the, what can become a kind of jargonistic use, when we repeat words a lot within the context of something we think we know, we often don't get under their meaning uh, very much. So partly to put that aside and partly to speak in a language that as much as possible really fits our experience. And also to continue the thread that we've been following for the last 24 hours or so of recognizing and pointing towards and honoring the spaciousness of life. This mysterious open space in which experience happens. And the tendency that we seem to have to fill up that space. Or at least to have the impression... that our experience, because of the way we fixate on it, is filling up the space of our life. So we might start just looking at the practice of meditation, which is kind of, we might see as a sublime kind of invitation. I mean, just being here over these couple of days together, we might see as a sublime invitation to abide in a great simplicity of wide open space. It's hard to think of a way we could be here more simply than sitting around quietly, wandering around quietly and slowly, from time to time eating quietly. And then to recover lying down for some time and resting. And then doing more of that again. So the, the environment of retreat is like an invitation to an open, empty space. Meditation practice itself, like we were saying earlier, in the simplicity of just sitting quietly and attending to the kind of most simple, visceral aspect of being here. Body sitting. Breath breathing. An invitation to open, empty space. And yet, I'm not going to take a poll, but I wonder how much, you know, That sense of abiding in open, empty space has been your experience today. Of course, 
that invitation seems to get filled up with a lot of other stuff. Much of the time that we pass in meditation seems to be filled with other things. With boredom, discomfort, distraction, confusion, doubt, uh, struggle, striving, uh, confusion. Did I say that one already? Well, there you go. (laughs) Disappointment, comparison, judgment, and I could go on. I'm sure you could all go on. Unfortunately, we do go on and on and on in that empty space of meditation. As we, as we deepen in our practice, we might say, as we get more used to the way, the way mind does all that stuff, as we take it less seriously, as we take it less personally, we stop feeding it as much. Patterns of mind, even as they diminish, we might recognize the kind of karmic momentum, we might say, the accumulated habit energy of comparison and uh, struggling and spacing out, etc., etc. But in the, the very noticing of those things, we start to get Over time, usually, we start to get a sense of the space around all of that. The space in which those things are happening. This open space that we've been pointing to today, that isn't affected or isn't corrupted by whatever appears in it. This open space that makes room for whatever's here, that allows whatever's here. This open space in which confusion might arise. But that which knows confusion, that which recognizes confusion, isn't itself confused. Resistance might arise. And as we were saying this afternoon, we can actually we can pay attention to the way that uh, that configures itself and hardens around something we don't like. And yet, as we get more used to that, as we study that in our experience, that which recognizes resistance isn't itself resistant. So our practice and our our deepening. Um, moment-to-moment investigation of what appears in our experience points us more and more to recognizing the space around our experience and trusting the space around our experience, trusting ourselves to rest a bit more into being here as an open space. An open space in which life's vibrancy and creativity and free unfolding is happening all the time. An open space in which rather wonderfully and mysteriously and miraculously thoughts and impressions and sights and sounds and movements 
and interactions and relationships configure and express and dissolve. And start to uh, fill out into the, the space in which life is expressing itself. So if that's so inviting, and we like the sound of it, and we certainly start to get a bit fed up of that habitual striving and struggling and resisting and spacing out and getting disappointed and uh, all the other stuff that we find rather unglamorously fills up the space of meditation that I thought was or hoped was going to be about bliss and concentration and seeing lights and whatever we thought. If this open space is so inviting and free of that complexity, how come we don't just drop those, all that habitual stuff How come, given that we recognize a longing for this open space, for peace, for freedom, for openness, for ease of being, for expansiveness? I mean, it all sounds great. So how come we don't just let go? How come? While, on the one hand, we're longing for that which we might call, and these are sort of synonyms, albeit slightly nuanced synonyms. While, on the one hand, we're longing for ease, space, rest, peace, expansiveness. On the other hand, we find it profoundly threatening. Because all of that other stuff that seems to fill up the space, the stuff that we identify with, the stuff that we make the narrative of our life out of, the stuff that we make the reactivity of our life, the bouncing from one thing to another, from one person to another, from one wish to another. That gives us our sense of self. The story of my life is the story of my struggle and my disappointment and my confusion and my achievements and my, 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 my. So while we might come on retreat, <clears throat> while we might engage very sincerely in this kind of practice, while we might um, sign up to being a lover of space and depth and freedom of being, at the same time, if we're honest, we can see how actually we're afraid of that as well. 
You see that sometimes in meditation, for example, where we might struggle with some of those uh, various things I spoke about before, some of the the way I get uh, distracted or the way I get disappointed or the way I'm trying to make a certain experience happen, etc. And then in partly often out of getting frustrated or fed up with that, we kind of, oh, we drop it a bit. And some space opens up. Our experience becomes simpler, freer, more spacious. We might initially like that. We might feel, oh, some relief. But quite quickly, we start to wonder, um, now what? What next? Quite quickly, we start to feel threatened by the lack of content. The lack of familiar inner narrative. Familiar inner reactivity. We start to feel quite uncomfortable or disorientated or lost lost in space so I'd like to look a little bit I'd like to feel into this empty space and particularly into some of the ways in which we are compulsively defend against it. There are different styles. And as I referred to a little bit earlier, the Buddha calls those styles greed, hatred and delusion. If we look at them in terms of their, the felt sense of those things, though, I'd like to I'd like to refer to them as what I call sometimes three D's or sometimes three C's. D's: demand, defense, and distraction. Three C's: compulsion, contraction, confusion. In other words, greed or demand or compulsion, the energetic move towards the trying to get, have, grasp onto something. Hatred, defense, contraction, the move away from, in resistance, refusal, the pushing against the not wanting something. And delusion, confusion, distraction. So the move outwards, energetically. So I cannot, not focused on a specific, like in the demand, I want that. Or the defense, I don't want that. But rather I don't know what I want. And spacing out. Some speak in terms of a kind of 
a, a psychology that one can make out of those three movements and that we might identify more primarily with one or the other. We might recognize ourselves, in other words, as a, a greed type or an aversive, defensive type or a deluded type. And some of us, when we hear that, we think how lucky those people are to only have one type going on. Probably, of course, we can recognize all three movements, but it nevertheless may be the case that we see that we're more likely to get seduced, to get, um, we're more likely for our, uh, our attention to get hijacked by one kind of movement than the other. And there are many, there are many layers to the ways we get caught in these movements. With the, the demand, then, which is, you know, and if we were to apply that, that psychology uh, of the different types, the, the demanding movement is, I would say, the, cultural, uh, the culturally predominant movement. We live in a, what's sometimes called a consumerist culture, or capitalist culture, or market-based culture, or whatever. It's definitely a culture that's built around having, getting, and becoming. In other words, the forward momentum. It's built around this idea, whatever, whether we use the word of progress or growth, etc. And of course, the most, the most gross form of that we can see in, uh, in, in our culture all the time. The, the cultural encouragement to get more, have more, become more. With, of course, the, the dire consequences that we see because that sense of more, more, more is predicated on the delusion of an endless amount of more. So... We can see that, as I say, in a kind of outwardly gross way, right? The attempt to get what I want in terms of things. And we may think, oh, well, I'm, I'm, part, I'm past materialism. I'm on the spiritual journey now. But it's, like I say, there's many layers of that. Actually, usually, underneath whatever it is, that we think we want, whether it's a thing, a material object that we want, or whether it's an experience that we want, or whether it's a situation that we want. Usually the next layer down is that it's usually a quality that we want. Our attempts, our defence, let's say, our defence against the open space the defense against just abiding with what is, that moves in that direction towards, is an attempt, regardless of what it is that I say I want, it's usually an attempt to get some kind of quality. Like power. The movement to try and get with the idea that if I get enough, I'll feel powerful. 
That's a pretty culturally predominant one. Right? It's a quite masculine style of the culturally predominant movement of greed, we might say. We start to see, when we investigate this in our experience, how the quality we're trying to get is, of course, we're trying to get a certain quality because we feel it to be absent. It's kind of compensatory. I'll try and get whatever in order to feel as if when I get enough, when I get enough of that experience, when I get enough of that thing, I'll feel powerful. In other words, because there's some sense of a lack or a lack of power. Or it might be trying to get things or experiences or relationships or whatever so as to get the quality of love. And we reach out in different ways at what I want as if that wanting will give me love. So it's a powerful and sometimes shocking uh, investigation to see what am I really what am I actually trying to get when I get fixated on that thing, that experience, whatever it is. And of course that, that movement easily gets translated into Dharma practice as well. Trying to get enlightenment. Trying to get some spiritual attainment. How painful it is to be on meditation retreat trying to have some different experience. When all the while the best experience we could have is right here. Because it's the only experience we could have. Because it's the one we're having. So there's lots of different ways to speak about that movement towards. But in terms of actually exploring it, studying it, it's that sense energetically of a movement towards leaning forward. We can notice it in meditation, sometimes just leaning forward for the bell to ring a bit sooner. As if, as if, if my ears are that much closer to the bell, I'll hear it a bit quicker. And you physically can sense yourself leaning forward, trying to get to some other experience. In life, Gail was mentioning earlier about the walking meditation and how easily in walking we begin to fixate on the destination. And wherever it arises, with all the complexity and how and all the ways in which we're seduced by the idea and the belief and the sense that that's really what I need, what I want, and there's no judgment about uh, whether, you know, this, the pursuing of things that are helpful, skillful, uh, supportive, wonderful. 
but the opportunity to investigate what we might, that tightness, the forward leaning, the insistence, the demand. That demand that's so seductive, that demand that reinforces a sense of self, the one who's demanding. But that in the demand, in the squeeze of that demand that we can feel viscerally, energetically, that squeezes out the open space. We can't recognize what's here because we're so fixated on what's there on what I want on what I'm pursuing there are two ways to investigate that one is just in the tracking it viscerally like I was saying as this movement towards this sense of demand And as a contemplation, we might ask ourselves in the midst of that, what do I really want? When when I'm leaning towards that thing, that experience, that idea, that hope, what do I really want? It's a way to uncover the quality that we're grasping after. Trying to get something in order to feel powerful, or in order to feel loved, or in order to feel okay, or in order to feel whatever, you fill in the gaps. Uncovering the quality in order to uncover where the sense of the lack of that comes from. If I'm busy trying to get something in order to feel uh, empowered in some way, I can probably track in my personal history the history of feeling disempowered. And then there's the style, of course, of contraction, defense, moving away from. Trying to get, rather than trying to get, have, become, trying to get rid of. Where the main orientation isn't the sense of lacking something that I'm looking out there for. But rather, having something that I don't want, that shouldn't be here, that isn't okay, that I need to get rid of. The sense of meeting experience as if it's a problem to be... um, Uh, escaped from or uh, dealt with or pushed away in some way it's usually also and you might notice that that kind of orientation that the predominant energetic quality the way your attention gets hijacked isn't so much as a kind of oh what's out there for me but more a sense of oh my god look at what's here for me and that tendency to contract around to push away, to reject. Also usually, in the unconscious 
attempt to get some kind of, to, to get some uh, feeling that we think is going to reassure us in the same way that it might be the power or the love etc in the first example sometimes the sense that if i could just if i could just do away with the with this whatever this is if i if i if i didn't have this job or if i didn't have this relationship or if i wasn't here on retreat or if my legs would stop aching or if if whatever then then everything will be okay then you know sometimes the quality that's in pursuit we're in pursuit of a quality of of a kind of certainty then everything will be all right. And pursuit sometimes of a sense of safety, as if if I manage to keep all this difficult, problematic, yucky stuff away, then I'll feel kind of protected. Then I'll be able to settle. Not much opportunity for abiding in the invitation of the open space of life, when we're busy pushing against it. And similarly, one can really in, one can investigate that, both viscerally, or letting yourself feel the pushing away. So it's a very, it's a very you know, resistance is a very clear layer of experience, just like the demand is. To let yourself feel the defense, to study it, to see what's it doing to your experience. And a contemplative question that might be helpful with that might be, what am I afraid of? sense that I've got to I've got to get rid of it. What am I afraid of? What do I think would happen if I stopped pushing? The very fact of pushing against our experience gives the the, the experience the sense of being unbearable. The more we push against it, the more it feels like it's powerfully pushing back. This example, probably some of you have heard me give before, is of like pushing against a spring. You know, if you push against a spring, wow, it pushes back. And then you think, oh, I've got to push harder to keep it away. And the harder you push, the harder it pushes back. And yet all the, all the power that it has to push back is coming from the power that you're giving it by pushing against it. What am I afraid of? What do I think would happen? And then there's only one way to find out. What happens if you dare to soften the defense, the pushing, the refusal? Of what's here. And then the style of distraction.
a style of spacing out, of going unconscious, of being seduced by the hazy dream of elsewhere. Not a particular, not that thing I want or that thing I don't want, but just uh, any, anything but this. It's a little harder to track because it's not so single-pointed. In the wanting, in the demanding, I know what the demand's focused around. In the defending, there's a clear, the same thing. I know what I'm pushing against. There's a clear object. And the distraction, though, it's like a, our, our experience goes diffuse. Same thing, whatever it is, whatever fantasy we get lost in, or whatever uh, uh, state, or whatever you know, whatever our chosen means of distraction is, going to the fridge, or going to the TV, or going to the bar, sometimes called the the secular triple gem taking refuge in the fridge and the TV and the bar as ways to, to, in the words of Pink Floyd, to go comfortably numb. But there too, we're trying. In defending against empty space, we're trying to get something. Trying to get some quality which we think is going to reassure us. Some quality where we think we're going to be able to land in. Just like if I got enough to feel powerful, then I'd be okay. If I got enough to feel loved, then I'd be okay. If I get rid of all these problems enough to feel safe, then I'd be okay. (coughs) Except as we can see when we explore those strategies, how much time do we spend in the demand or in the defense? And how much do we actually spend really feeling Okay. Okay means really able to be here. Undemanding. Undefended. Undistracted. So in that same way, in the distraction, seeking something that we think is going to make everything okay. Sometimes it's that quality of ease. It's like, oh, it's just, you know, the seduction in meditation that it seems like it's easier to space out. I remember that very well. It's like, yeah, I'm, I, you know, being theoretically committed to practice. And I could certainly knew how to look like I was committed to practice. It looks like this. And then after, you know, and starting off uh, feeling very committed to practice, and then two or three days of a retreat go by, and I'm still looking, I'm still very good at looking like I'm committed to practice. But then, oh, kinds of seductions. And then it seems like it's easier. You know, it seems like it's easier to space out than to be there. And the seduction there is of, oh, of a kind of ease. The seduction of it's a beautiful, it's a very great description. That is two words, comfortably numb. 
We see the seduction of comfortable. We don't see the deadness of numb. Don't get pulled into some sense of ease like that. We also get pulled into a kind of idealism. That's one of the, the uh, side effects of spacing out, right? Is it giving us the impression of, of some ideal, you know, that fantasy, that situation, that uh, beach I went to, that, that, that something, that something. Very compulsive, all these three movements. And the thing that they share in common, well, there are several things they share in common. One, of course, is the endlessness. That however much I get something that makes me feel okay, it's, it's so unsustainable. But also what they have in common is the way they distort in pointing to something, in pointing away to what I want or to what I don't want, or in pointing out there the inevitable conclusion, albeit an unconscious conclusion usually, but the inevitable conclusion is that here is deficient. Here might well seem like an empty space, but it seems like that emptiness, that spaciousness is made of lack. Here is not what I want. Hence the reaching out, the demand. Or here is something I don't want, and hence the pushing away. Or here is just is dull, <coughs> hence the fantasizing and the spacing out. That's what keeps these three styles of filling up space with our demands and our defenses and our distractions. That's what keeps them so compelling. That's what keeps them so fueled. They're very seductive. And they're very seductive because they, they tell us that what's here isn't good enough. What's here is lacking. And when we, when we dare to let go of those movements a little bit and we sense into this empty space, we find lack. Lack of self-reference. Lack of all that habit energy. And like I was saying earlier, even though we like the relief at first, very quickly we feel threatened by it. So what to do? If we follow the movements, we're just caught in them. If we don't follow the movements, we tend to get the horrors of this sense of deficient lack Sounds like we're stuck between a rock and a hard place. When we hear terms like greed, hatred and delusion, they don't sound very glamorous. They don't sound very spiritual. We'd rather hear about wisdom and compassion, right? But they're important to to notice. And usually, rather than noticing, we somehow we, we turn away. I don't want to see myself as greedy, hateful, and deluded. What, did you, what happened on retreat? Oh, I, I got to see that I'm, just, I'm really demanding, I'm really defended, and I'm constantly distracted. It was great, yeah. 
It's like a kind of, you know, sounds like the material for Meditators Anonymous. Hi, my name is Martin. I'm demanding, defended, distracted. But actually, that's where the juice is, you know. That's where the juice is, in letting ourselves recognize that truth. And then you can explore those movements. We can't, we can't let go of demand and defense and distraction when we don't really even know they're happening. Right? When we think it really is just about getting that or getting rid of that or getting somewhere else. And yet we also can't really work with, can't understand, can't let go of those tendencies when we make them wrong. When we think they shouldn't be like that. When we imagine that I shouldn't be feeling demanding. That I shouldn't be defending against what's happened. That I shouldn't get distracted. Then you just make your... Then practice becomes a torture. Because the idea that I shouldn't be doing those things doesn't do anything at all to stop them happening. In fact, just the idea that I shouldn't itself is a demand. Itself is a defense. So we're invited to actually get friendly with these movements. Both viscerally, moment by moment, you know, in any moment when you recognize that you're not abiding completely freely. And there's probably a fair few of those moments, right? Then you might look in your experience, not so much for the idea, but look to see, is there any subtle or not so subtle leaning forward? Are you making any demand on life? Or to see if there's a, a leaning back. What are you defending against? To see if you've been out there somewhere. To recognize that sense of diffuse, lost, vague mind. Working with them viscerally like that, which is the most powerful way, I think, of actually understanding those mechanisms. Working with the contemplations as well. What do I really want? What am I afraid of? Did I give a contemplation for the other? I didn't. Um, You might ask, what's here? It's a good contemplation. When When we're so seduced by a sense of elsewhere. What's here? And when, you know, these questions, as contemplations, the contemplations are questions that don't yield answers, basically. Contemplations are questions where the question itself can keep on deepening and opening up more and more layers without yielding to something as unsatisfactory and clumsy and limited as an answer. Investigating these movements also brings us into contact with how much work they are to sustain. 
making constant demands on how things should be is exhausting. Constantly defending against how things are is painful. Constantly distracting into some uh, vague fantasy realm is pretty lousy as well. (laughs) But I can't convince you of that, right? But if we get to to follow the movement, feel the movement, allow the movement, allow the sense of demand, the sense of defense, allow it. Right? Allowing it isn't the same as acting it out. It's not that I'm just going to, rather than just grabbing hold of that demand and believing in that defense, but the movement itself, to get to know that movement forward, to get to know that movement away from, is to get to know the work that it takes to sustain that, is to get to know the, the grip that it gets on us, to get to know the way in which it shuts down this open space, this invitation to be here. And each time we really recognize that compulsion, that contraction, the demand, defense, distraction, and dare to soften it, to soften around it, we get a sense of the space around it. We start to trust the space around it. Even if there are whispers of doubt, of unease, of disorientation. At first, we don't know. We don't know if we can trust this empty space. Because I've spent decades and decades trusting, doing everything I can to not experience that empty space. Doing everything to try and build up a sense of solidity and certainty about what's happening. So it's challenging to sense into the great ambiguity of this empty space. But you know the one massive advantage it has over all those other three movements is that it's here. Our demands are pointing us there. Our defenses are pointing us away. Our distractions are pointing us God knows where. And as such, are inevitably incredibly unreliable. Whereas this empty space that we're not sure about, that we both long for when we hear words like peace and openness and freedom, and yet that we uh, quite naturally uh, distrust when we start to approach it. It's unambiguously here. 
And it's always here. And it's constantly here. And it's so here that it carries on being wide open and inviting. However much I fuss and freak out and demand and defend and distract. And even though it appears to be um, negative in the sense of lacking, lacking in solidity, lacking in content, because it's here, it fills space. It, it, it uh, suffuses whatever's here. It suffuses all one's experience. It suffuses everything that seems to be body. It suffuses and makes room for and allows everything that seems to be thought. It's a strange paradox that we start to discover that that which seems to be empty space has a vibrant fullness to it. And in that, it's that vibrancy, that fullness, that radiant space that we learn to trust, to rest in, to love. So we are invited to dare to meet our demands and defences and distractions. And therein we feel the whisper of possibility. The wide open invitation to abide undemanding, undefended undistracted to be filled with the wide open space thank you for listening to learn how you can support the teachers and dharma seed please visit dharma seed dot org slash donate